Welcome back to another episode of the Monday Morning Morons with Will Stryland and Curtis Podolecki. Thank you for joining me once again, sir. Oh, anytime. You know, it's uh, a beautiful sunny day in the Okanagan. I got some football on TV here, so it's, it's a great day to talk sports, talk football. It's a great weekend to talk sports. Labor Day weekend, easily the biggest weekend in the CFL next to the Grey Cup. Yes, it gets above kickoff weekend. It gets above Thanksgiving weekend. This is the weekend that basically everybody in the CFL really focuses in on as it gets us set for the second half of the season. It's so true. You know, uh, people wake up and look at the standings after the games tomorrow morning, and now it means something. You look at yourself compared to the other teams. You haven't really done that throughout the year. People always say they're looking at the standings, but let's be honest, uh, the CFL is the second half of the regular season kind of league. You know, uh, six teams make the playoffs in a nine-team league, so you're never really out of it, you know, halfway through the halfway through the season so it's, it's going to be interesting to see the second half plays out and i think most teams are trying to measure themselves up against the best teams right now former member of the winnipeg blue bombers that i once had the luxury of playing flag football with said the cfl doesn't see the season doesn't start until after labor day because that's when all the cfl training camps are over all the players that come back up to canada are back on the rosters and everything changes in the second half and that's going to lead us right into the conversation not too long ago the CFL reopened the NFL window, and I think this was a great decision. So for those who don't know, the NFL window was basically a player on a two-year contract could go down, try out in the NFL. If he didn't make it, got cut, didn't make a practice squad, whatever, when he came back to Canada, he just went and joined the team he was already signed with. In the last round of the CBA, that went away. We had a couple issues with it last year with guys like James Wilder saying, hey, I had an agreement in place I can get out of here, and now Toronto's not letting me out of my contract the CFL is already starting to realize that with the American Alliance of Football starting up and the XFL starting up the year after that, they're getting into a situation where they're going to have to entice players to come to Canada to a level they haven't done in a few years. And ultimately, I think it's a great option now to have these guys have the opportunity to go down, try out for the NFL when they don't make it, come back to the teams that they already are signed for for the remainder of that season. Just the level of confidence, the level of stability that if you do come up to the CFL and you do say have a great season or whatever the reason for coming up here, whether it was a discipline issue, whether it was skill issue, uh, needing to fix something else outside of your football life. It's a great thing to have knowing that if you go down and it doesn't work out, you, you know exactly what's happening. You know exactly what's going on if you have to come back. There's, there's no second-guessing the decision. The team's on board. You're on board. There's no, you know, hidden agendas. There's nothing, you know, swept under the rug here. It, it, it's a very simple format, and it's been quite successful for many years, and it was really disappointing when they, when they kind of closed this window. But uh, I think the, the new uh, commissioners understood that this is good for the league. It's not bad for the league, which I think other people thought for whatever reason it was. Yeah, well, like most GMs around the league will say, they liked it because – a lot of the guys that come to Canada for the first time, they don't really see the NFL, the CFL sorry, as a, a long-term option. They all think that they're good enough to make the show in the NFL. They go down there, they kind of get a humbling of, okay, maybe I'm not quite good enough for the NFL, but here I am. I can be you know, a pretty well-known player in Canada. And it gives them that opportunity to come back. And teams don't have to worry about now anymore if that guy's actually going to come back and join them. You look at the likes of Adam Big Hill in this offseason – deciding he didn't want to be a practice roster player for the New Orleans Saints, comes back to Canada, wants to go back to BC where he kind of made his name, but BC doesn't have the cap space 
or the roster space to bring him back, he ends up in Winnipeg. Where if he's on a contract with BC, he just fits right back into the program. It's great for the longevity and for that continuity of teams that is paramount to be able to bring that culture to your team. You know, we heard Rick Desjardins talk, sorry, Rick Campbell talk in Ottawa a few weeks ago about how, oh, we're having trouble bringing this culture to the team. If you can bring guys back like Adam Big Hill, who has ultimately kind of reinvigorated the Bombers' defense, he's a guy that really brings that culture. There's so much more than just his playing on the field that he brings to a team once he's joined that team. I agree, and it makes it far more attractive as a GM to go ahead and sign these type of players to these multi-year contracts, knowing, even if you know going into it, that they're going to try the NFL you've been around the game long enough, you're going to have a good idea of their skill set and if it's going to be able to transfer to the NFL. And if you're pretty confident in signing good character guys like this that you go, even if they go to the NFL, that they're most likely going to come back, you know, it gives you a little confidence signing these type of players to multi-year deals that when they do come back, you know, you're not worried that they're going to end up on one of your opposing teams that next to, you know, this guy that you brought in the league that you scouted. Uh, did all the due diligence on is now playing for your, you know, divisional opponent that you have to play two, three times a year. And the guy's sticking it to your team when it was you who brought him in. For sure. Now, the one thing that I think the league is done is by opening this, it's a means of enticing players to come to Canada. Cause sure. Once you've had a good year, you might be able to get that shot in the NFL. There's two leagues starting up next year. It's the AAF the year after that, the XFL, there's a lot more players we're going to have an opportunity to play football somewhere else and make more money than they will in Canada. Now the average in Canada, the league minimum is $53,000 a year. It's about 40,500 us. The XFL when it starts up in 2020 is looking to pay players $75,000 a season. And the American Alliance of football that is starting up next year, looking to sign guys for three years at 250, which works out to be over $83,000 a year. The ability for a guy to come in, only have that one-year commitment is huge. What I think the CFL needs to look at doing in order to continue bringing talent to Canada and not really letting the play drop off based on how many guys are going to have an opportunity to play football somewhere else is the negotiation lists. I've never really cared for the concept that a player or a team can lock up 45 players for a day, for a few hours, for a few years in the likes of Johnny Manziel. Sure, it ended up eventually paying off and he came to Canada. But you've basically told all the other teams in the league, here are 400 players that you can't sign because, oh, they belong to Edmonton and not you. I think the negotiation list is something else that needs to go in the CFL to continue to entice that talent to come to Canada because let every team take a shot at getting these top-end players and enticing them to come up north because you're not only competing now against the eight other teams in the league, you're competing about against two other leagues that are starting up in general. Yeah, not only that, being that your league is also in a different country than just about every one of these players is from. When you look at that, you know, that's just another hindrance for the CFL as opposed to these other leagues. Salary aside, when you look at it from that perspective, now you got these guys that got to make a decision. It's like, well, I can go play for, you know, this brand new league that starts up in the U.S. But you know what? I'm in the same country. You know, maybe it's easier to move my family there. You know, it's easier to get home when the league's not playing. It's all these little things that now that this player has the chance to think about it. Yeah, it's ultimately the game that you grew up learning how to play the 11-man game in comparison to the 12-man game. Very true. Yeah, that's a point I didn't bring up. I didn't even think about that. 
is that you're right. It's the same game they played where, as you all know, the CFL, uh, bigger field, extra player, a lot of other little uh, rural nuances that are quite different that I, I think really helps the game up here, but can be quite difficult for someone who's been ingrained for upwards of 20 years of playing football a certain way. It can be quite difficult. And for, from our perspective, it can almost be laughable why it takes certain guys who have played football their whole life to learn. But when you've done something for so long, it can be tough to change. And those are all little things that now could hurt the CFL. And I 100% agree with your take on the NAG lists. I think they only hurt the CFL now at this point. I, I with you. I, I was never a huge fan of them to begin with. And I, I don't see how it helps the league. I don't see how it helps any of the teams. Definitely doesn't help players. So I don't really know who it's helping or who it's benefiting at all anymore. I'd, I'd really like to hear a perspective from the league on it and why and who it benefits. Yeah, well, there's two interesting situations that came up in relation to it in the last offseason slash start of the season that we've had. First, obviously, the biggest being Johnny Manziel, because he is arguably the biggest name in the CFL. Everybody was talking about Johnny Manziel coming to Canada. He's got his own podcast that's being run on Barstool Sports about his, hey, here's my journey into Canada and trying to get back into the NFL. Not every player is going to get that opportunity, but... Where the necklace hurts is there was a long-running negotiation between Hamilton and Johnny in terms of how the contract was going to work out. Hamilton, of course, has to offer him a contract, which they knew he was going to turn down just so they can keep the negotiating rights for him, eventually agreeing to a pretty handsome contract for a first-year player coming to the CFL. But if you don't have that neg list, now you can get into a bidding war. So a guy like Johnny Manziel, who thinks he's worth how much ever he thinks he's worth, and you heard his agent. His agent basically said it. He's like, Johnny Manziel is going to sell jerseys. Johnny Manziel is going to put butts in the seats in Hamilton. So, yeah, he deserves to make more than just a regular nobody. Antonio Pipkin, maybe, in Montreal, a guy who's having a great success in place of Johnny Manziel, but nobody's ever heard of before. So you could create these bidding wars. Now, Johnny Manziel has the option, the ability, just like he would be as a free agent in the NFL, to visit teams, try out for teams, and sign anywhere he likes, which I think is a good situation. And then you get the Terrell Owens, which is another negative aspect to the neg list, just on a different spectrum. Here's a guy into his mid-40s who hasn't played football for years. So he runs a fast 40 time, and all of a sudden Edmonton goes and signs him to the neg list. Probably no intentions ever signed him, but what they ended up doing was using it as trade bait, trying to get something out of another team. Now, it never happened, but why wouldn't that team be have, have the rights to sign a guy who's never been to the league before if they want to sign him? Why do they have to make a trade with a team who doesn't want him essentially just because they're filling a spot on their make list. And you know, they're just, they're just playing the game because that's what it's turned into. Now it's, it's, it's all a game between GMs. Now who can we put on our list to prevent other teams from getting this player? And I think that's what it's turned into. So I suppose that's probably the only benefit to the neg list that I can see is it allows GMs to play a little game. You know, it's not even so much grabbing players and you pointed uh, Terrell Owens as a perfect example. You're not even grabbing a player because you want him on your team. You know, I got a spot on my neg list, and this guy's not on anyone else's list, so I'm putting him on my list only on the parameter that I don't want another team to have him, unless, of course, they want to give me some sort of compensation for it. And I don't think that's right. But the CFL's not in a position right now with the XFL and the American Alliance starting up in the next couple of seasons to start playing these games with players because as a player looking at all your options and, and say those three options are available to you, why would you go look for an option that limits your ability to succeed and make 
you know, essentially make money. And that's what, you, what you're looking for to do in that spot. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. No, it doesn't. And I, I hope when it comes to enticing players to come to Canada, that players take a look at the popularity they would gain in Canada. You got an average, average viewing audience of around 500,000 people a week, which is pretty good. It's not NFL good, but nothing is going to compare to the numbers the NFL can put up. With two new leagues starting, and sure, both of them have names behind them, we have seen many leagues come and falter and have no TV ratings and have no people in the stands and just flame out entirely. The UFL, the United Football League, being the latest of a string, including the former XFL itself. So hopefully with what the CFL has done in the last few years, and they've been doing good at it with this contract with ESPN to have all the games down in Canada, there's a population base, there's an audience that's kind of already formed, there's the ability for American fans to watch their favorite college players in Canada or for teams to get this publicity on players who are starting here in Canada for the CFL is going to be a big factor because there's a lot of unknowns with a new league starting. And while you might get some good numbers to start, can they sustain them where the CFL already has that sustained base? And that'll be huge for the CFL. I'm glad they've released the NFL window. I really, really hope they take a look at the neg list. If you keep the neg list lower, the number 45 players, it's 405 players that teams have locked up or a max of 405 players anyway. So that leaves 360 players that teams can't sign. Some of the best American talent that can come to Canada. They're not getting the rights to because of a negotiation list and it's silly and it's dumb and it's outdated and if you're going to compete with new leagues, the CFL needs to get rid of it. To to limit yourselves and your players and your league in any way uh, just seems silly. Just I don't really comprehend why you would want to even do that. Like as, as you said, and a good point, what the CFL has over these other leagues is a sustained fan base. And more than anything, that fan base still averages out to a certain amount of viewers, certain amount of fans in attendance, and they'll be there you know, more or less regardless if a couple guys don't come up from the States or not, it's not going to hinder that fan base enough or it's going to alter the league's output on anything. So I really hope they kind of look at it and can figure out the, the best route. You know, I, I could see something happening where they just reduce it to a lot lower of a number because I still think the GMs like it, you know, uh, GMs like their little games. So I don't see that going anywhere. GMs do like their games. Some of them are better than others. And I would argue right oh, now, one of the GMs. In I know where you're going league, with this. Yeah, one of the GMs in the league, in my eyes, struggling to fight, despite the fact that the team has found some moderate success in the last few weeks, is Cavus Reed and the Montreal Alouettes. Since he's taken over, he's kind of really gone heavy on free agency. He's brought in some veteran players, and it just hasn't really paid out so far. Well, he he didn't have the luxury of uh, Anthony Calvillo strolling the sideline when he showed up, so. That's kind of putting you in the in the passenger seat, uh, being a GM in Montreal, uh, compared to just what everyone else had been there prior to him. So that definitely didn't give him the best start. But first and foremost, I don't even know how he became a GM. You know, last time I I saw him, he was he was struggling to keep it on the sidelines as a coach. Next thing you know, he shows up as a GM in Montreal, which kind of surprised me at the time. And I was like, well, maybe he's more suited to that than coaching. And I would say no, he is not. From from a First couple of seasons watching him, as you said, he's building his team completely opposite of what most teams try to do, giving away draft picks, gave away two first round draft picks in that trade for Manziel. 
they cut one of the, the players that they pick. got in that trade for Menzel. That, that's true. They they cut one of the offensive linemen. They got uh, Landon Rice, I believe, and he's already back in Hamilton. So that shows where where his heart lies. He gets released, and the next day he's back in Hamilton. I don't blame him. Uh, anyway, he can get out of Montreal. Even though they won a couple games, I still think they're a mess as an organization. Continue to go out and hire U.S. head coaches that have never coached in this league, which shocks me, especially when you've got a former CFL coach. As now, the challenge, the, sorry, the challenge with that is there has been American coaches come out here, Mark Trestman, the first to come to mind, who before he ever got up here never coached in Canada before and had instant success. It is true. Uh, it, it's not a very successful venture. You know, the probability of that working out for you is pretty low. There are a few cases of it happening, but, you know, I don't I don't have a lot of confidence in Cavis Reed making a good choice when it comes to that because every other choice he seems to make doesn't really bode well for the organization. It's really confusing what's going on there. The fact that they've given up so many draft picks for players that aren't for players that aren't even playing on their team, it's just I don't really comprehend which direction they're going. And maybe you can help me out on this. Maybe you know something I don't, but it just it just doesn't seem like they're they're a last place team. They've traded away draft picks for the next three years. They're on no their sixth rounders. quarterback of the season. Yeah, the guy they traded two first rounders for. I, I get it. He did get hurt going through concussion protocol. He was back last but, week, but he's he didn't entrench himself enough as a starter. To take over for a guy who has ultimately gone and won him football games. As far as I'm concerned, if you're a player for the Montreal Alouettes on offense, Antonio Pipkin's your guy. He has to be your guy. Johnny Gonzalez hasn't shown anybody anything. He showed the, everybody how to throw lots of interceptions in a half of football. And then and then he got hurt. And you know what? Hey, I get it. He, he's new to the league. He's got a lot to learn. And not many quarterbacks show up game one and light it up. Antonio Pipkin here, he's, he's, he's taking the chance and he's making the best of it. And you have to run with him. You know, he's, he's shown everything you want to see out of a quarterback. Maybe a kudos is deserved to Cavis Reed on this one if this kid turns into something. I think it's more luck than anything on his part, but hopefully for Montreal they have found a guy here because parity in the CFL is only a good thing, and to be perfectly honest, I'm sick and tired of seeing two teams with one or two wins at the halfway point. Yeah, which we've been getting a lot over the last few years, and it's it's, it's kind of interesting that a couple of teams have been so much better at it, particularly in the West thin teams in the east but that's the way it goes then you, you mentioned you know Kevis reed gave away two first round picks for uh, along with jamal westerman and chris williams so two you know established players in the league cut one of the guys they get just to get johnny manzel but they also took in the supplemental draft tyler johnstone this past year and as a result they lose their 2019 first round pick so you now go three years without a first round pick Maybe Tyler Johnstone turns into something, but the history of the supplemental draft would suggest he probably doesn't. And it's not that there's bad players available in that draft. Yeah, just... I don't really see the risk-reward factor paying off picking a guy in the supplemental draft as opposed to the quality of player you get in the first round of the CFL draft. Especially, you know, if, if you're a realistic GM and you look at your team in Montreal and you got to think to yourself, best-case scenario were maybe middle pack of the league in the next year even with this guy so you're essentially giving up a top four pick in the cfl draft for this guy in the supplemental draft and i just don't see the risk reward factor really playing out for you there unless this guy's a stud but if he was a stud he wouldn't be in the supplemental draft he could be a stud in the supplemental draft the way it works is he didn't necessarily have his paperwork in order right the only thing is about being in the supplemental draft you're not really looked at were scouted in the same light as the guys coming into the actual CFL draft. Very so true. that's where the difficulty lies 
in that hopefully for Montreal, they can find somebody in free agency, you know, next year or get a trade that really benefits them both now and in the long term. Because ever since Calvillo left, they have been a losing football team. They have been losing fan base. They have been losing TV viewership. You can only do that for so long. It's an absolute mess. And I don't even follow, I, I personally don't follow them that closely. As far as I'm concerned, everything I see from that organization that comes out to a relatively passionate CFL football fan is, is nothing but negative. It just leaves you questioning what's really going on. And I, I couldn't imagine what it would be to be a diehard Alouettes fan right now who follows that team closely week in, week out. That, that, would, be, that would be hard. It's hard enough for me being a Bombers fan to follow that team uh, week in, week out. You know, they got their own problems. You know, I, I know looking at that organization, at least top to bottom, I, I, I can trust the process and what's going on there and, and be a little bit more optimistic. Where in Montreal, at least they've got this young quarterback that's played good for two weeks. At least you got that to go off of. Because if you didn't have that, you'd have nothing. It's a very, very good point you make. Hopefully, Antonio Pipkin, you keep getting it done. And who knows, maybe Montreal could still make the playoffs. Like we said, CFL season doesn't really start till Labor Day weekend, and they got the win. Forgive me for not researching the standings before this, but if I'm not mistaken, I think they're only one or two games out of a playoff spot now, those two wins. And that's that's good and bad for the league. I'm all for parity, but I'm not for parity where a team with one win almost halfway through the season still has a chance to get back. You know, I am a Bomber fan first and foremost, but I'd love nothing more than a league. You should be happy with it right now. We're in the crossover position. I, well, that's, for whatever reason, <laughs> it never seems to work out. I, the East in one game winner take all always seems to beat the West. So, In conference finals, yes. Yeah. Edmonton's beaten Winnipeg before when we were part of the East and Saskatchewan. Pretty close to getting to the uh, Great Cup. As oh, they were uh, third down year. conversion late in the game to get to the Great Cup last year. Who knows what would happen then? You know, Calgary likes to not show up in the second half of every Great Cup, so they might have even given one to the Riders. Well, for the benefit of Bomber fans everywhere, I'm kind of glad that didn't happen. Yeah, we, we, we got our uh, we got our fill yesterday at the Labor Day Classic. Well, what the Bombers could do wrong, they do do wrong to hand the game over. So, Bombers at Labor Day, not very good. Also something that's not very good, you have a very interesting take on this. We were chatting off Mike about hits. And it's not that guys haven't been going low for a long time and kind of missling their bodies, but with all the focus on concussions and headshots, you seem to think that there's a correlation here. I do. I, I don't have any stats to back this up other than just my, my watchful eye, and I and I probably watch way too much football, especially if you were to talk to my wife. I spend way too much time watching football on TV. But over the last few years, for me, I've, I've noticed more and more, uh, we're talking knee injuries, ankle injuries. It just comes from the shots that defensive backs are taking on wide receivers. And as you said, not that this didn't exist, since the very first football game uh, that's ever been played, guys have always been going low. But I just, for me, I feel there, there is a direct correlation with more low hits now than ever before because there's such a watchful eye on anything close to a head now, uh, whether it's the CFO, whether it's the NFL, any football league from the grassroots up. You know, you've got your young kids there. Nobody wants headshots anymore. Everybody's so worried about concussions, as they should be. You know, I'm, I'm 100% for that. But what I have noticed is the amount of shots that players take around their knees and the total disregard that defensive players have when they go at the knees of an offensive player. You know, a prime example today, even though it wasn't the knees, more in the hip. 
but in the Calgary Edmonton game, DB came in and, and hit Darrell Walker, helmet down right into his hip, went low, no intent of hitting high whatsoever. Uh, Darrell Walker was turned to the plate. He easily could have come in and hit him and wrapped him up around the waist. Uh, as most people would teach, you had a tackle in football. But I, I do believe DBs are trained now to go low, to avoid that helmet contact, to avoid the flag. And honestly, if I was coaching, I'd be doing the same thing. I don't want my DB picking up a 15-yard penalty. And I do think there's a problem. Now, now one of your best players in Darrell Walker, for Edmonton, he was sitting on the sideline getting his hip looked at for an injury that I think is a totally preventable in the situation that played out on the field. See, I'm going to have to disagree that there's a correlation between the effort to reduce headshots and the knee shots taking place. Players definitely come in with a lot more uh, reckless disregard for their personal well-being, let's put it that way, that their intention is to just physically dominate somebody. The fact that they have to go lower than maybe they would, I don't think there's targeting of the knees. I think it's just consequential in that regard, or coincidental is probably a better term. But I actually think, and you mentioned, you know, young kids trying to teach them, we're still at a level where the guys playing pro football when they were growing up, didn't really get the training on how to hit and avoid the head contact. As a high school football coach myself, it's something that we work on now every day. And as I look at the program that we have here in Canada, it does a lot of good things to eliminate head contact and take the, the head contact out of the game, but it's still not a perfect system. So I think a lot of it has to do with these guys who just come flying in where before they were hitting high, they haven't been necessarily trained to make that contact while taking the head out of it. And it's going to take a couple of years before that comes into play. Like I'll agree with you on that one is, is the training from the individuals in the professional ranks now compared to your young football players going through the ranks now. The, the training and the knowledge is, is vastly different than what it was 10, 15 years ago, which is a good thing. I don't think anybody will argue that. Just the amount of player feedback that's been coming out uh, not nearly as much in the CFL because of the larger field it's, it's you don't you don't have as much press coverage out there so you don't have as much of those bang bang little quick plays but there's definitely a lot of banter between players when you look south of the border where there it just seems like it's a total mess down there with any rule that involves a headshot where players have been adamant that they're not a fan of hits below the waist on what they would indicate as a defenseless receiver. And in the in the realm of this Dar Darrell Walker hit, to me, he was a defenseless receiver. And I, I really didn't feel that he took a shot that he needed to take. And I understand it is football, and there's going to be hits that aren't perfect. But I, I do think there is a essence of hitting low, whether low is the waist, whether low is the knee. You know, I've heard many coaches say, take his feet out when you're going to tackle, don't tackle high, take the feet out. That's been in football since I've been a kid. It's something that I do think exists out there that guys are trending towards lower hits. Now lower is, should be lower than the shoulders, not the knees, but I'll be perfectly honest. It's easier to tackle a guy at the knees than it is the waist. Just if we stick with this uh, Darrell hit that we just saw a little while ago here. Yeah, he's, arguably defensive because he's still catching the ball, hasn't quite turned his body back upfield, can't avoid a hit. But now if you're 
Calgary, you're a Calgary fan, you're a Calgary coach, you're a Calgary teammate, and that guy doesn't make that hit, then all of a sudden Darrell's free and you're out of a job. Well, that's just it. That, that's a whole nother discussion. Everybody's, everybody wants to stand and grandstand about player safety. And player safety and player safety. We've got to focus on headshots. To the point safety. that we've taken padded practices away from the CFL entirely. Yeah, you know, and, and padded practices are everything's down. Everything's so focused on player safety now, which which is a good thing. But at some point, there is such a thin line between being successful and being on a team and getting your walking papers. And you're right. If, if the guy is more worried about how he should tackle and doesn't make the play, you know, he could find himself walking out the door next week with no job. Yeah, and, he's got to take that shot. And that, where I'll agree with you on that one, uh, at the end of the day, that guy's going to make the tackle any way possible because he still wants to get paid. He still wants his job. And that message has to be evolved a bit because unless, if you really want player safety, you really want to address the issue of tackling and improve it, you, you can't now have a double standard where if you're trying to get these guys to tackle a certain way and they don't, or if they do tackle a certain way and they miss a tackle, now they're being hindered on that. And so I think that's kind of a gray area where I don't think it's ever really going to change in the game of football because at the end of the day, you, you got to tackle to make the play. And if that means it's going a little low, so be it. You know, it's, it's just unfortunate that uh, we lose star players to, to those kind of hits. And that, that's kind of where my real disagreement comes from it. And the increased use of lower hits is we got Darrell Walker sitting on the side of one of the best wide receivers in the league on a hit that maybe didn't need to happen. You know, same thing yesterday, Labor Day game, we lost Andrew Harris for a bit of the game on a hit that lower than it needed to be. But that guy's not going to risk his job because he wants to make sure he saves this guy's career. He's, he's looking out for himself first. I think it's, we're a long way from getting this whole issue resolved, regardless of league age when it comes to football. Yeah, it is definitely a systematic thing within football itself from the grassroots level all the way up. We have rules in the CFL that prevent head contact on everybody. We also have rules that prevent knee contact or low body contact on quarterbacks. So I just, I'm just going to ask the question to play devil's advocate because you make note that you have this correlation that guys are aiming low to prevent head contact and as a result more guys are getting hurt. Do you see in the future the CFL moving to some kind of rule to limit low shots as well? I I don't. I, I could maybe see some sort of slight adaptation to defenseless receiver. You know, if a guy's just caught a ball and he's in the air or something, not to take him out. But even that, that's such a judgmental call. And the CFL officials aren't great, but I, I don't hate him as much as a lot of other people. You know, I understand being an official myself, how tough of a job it is. But to try and put another rule like that in on them, that's just not fair to the officials. It's not fair to the players. Just inconsistencies with that rule, I, I don't really see it being implied. At, at the end of the day, to me, it's still football. And hitting is the reason most people watch football. And if you start nitpicking every little thing and trying to make a rule out of it, I don't see that becoming a good thing. With that being said, I, I'm opposed to low knee shots to guys when you're coming from their blind side. It's almost like it needs to be like an unwritten rule. Like you'd like to think players have a little bit more common courtesy for their own players out there that they wouldn't take guys out in in bad spots. Like go after their knees in 
situations where they're coming from their blind side, but there's only so much you can do. It is football. It is a fast game for anybody who's ever played it. And you being a high school coach, even at the high school level, those plays come at you faster than you'll ever know. And when you've been on the field, we both have, it's a fast game and you got to make split decisions. I, I feel for the players. I feel for the ones who have to tackle. I feel for the ones who get tackled and get hurt. It's not an easy thing. It's easy to sit here and talk about it and say, I wish it would change. It comes down to me is I think it's the players have to have a little bit more respect for each other on the field. But I don't really know how you start doing that because if it hasn't started now, I don't really know what else you can do to kind of implement something like that. It is a fine line. You start penalizing that all the way, all the time. You take away those hits. Where do we get in football now where we're so cognizant of player safety that we've really handcuffed defensive players' ability to, to make any kind of play in that regard? So I think with that, we will uh, call this episode number three of the Monday Morning Morons as we continue enjoying our Labor Day Monday here. The first half is over. If you're a Calgary fan, you're pretty happy. If you're a Montreal fan, you're optimistic. And if you're a Bomber fan, you're probably waiting for the backup quarterback to start next week. I don't think he's starting, but I, <laughs> I, I don't think he's sitting down on the bench either. It'll be very interesting to see. You said it uh, off mic. Uh, maybe one more shot for Matt Nichols to right the ship before you see him on the sidelines. But that may be a topic for next Monday when the morons are back. Curtis, have yourself a wonderful week. You too, Will.